You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Donna, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It is so great to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm just thrilled to be here with you. I am particularly excited to hear your story. And before we dive into that, would love to have you share a little bit about yourself so people know who Donna Winship is. Okay. Donna Winship is a timeless life giver in the kingdom of God, a healer and a teacher. I came to understand this unique identity in Christ when I was in my 40s. Unfortunately, I wish I had learned it earlier, but God's timing is always perfect, right? I grew up in Virginia in a very close-knit Jewish community. Both sets of my grandparents are Russian immigrants. If you've seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof, that's sort of my family history, and my parents are first-generation American. And yeah, it was a wonderful life. I come from a great, loving family, but no family's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And as I grew up, the traditions of Judaism, which were very important to us, seemed to not relate to my everyday experience as a middle schooler or a high schooler in the public school system. There was no, no teaching or concept of a personal God. Everything was based on the traditions being handed down through generations so that we don't lose the Jewish people, really. And so a lot of guilt associated with that following, you know, legalism about celebrating all the feasts. And it's wonderful to celebrate the feasts, but when it's the same night as prom and you want to go to the prom or it's the same night as homecoming football and you have to go to temple and miss that, it's it's hard, you know, when you're yeah. 15, 16 years old. And so there was no concept of a, a personal God that loves you. I had a lot of guilt when I entered my teen years. It's a time where it's difficult to know who you are. And I was looking for a sense of belonging. I went to a huge public high school and never felt like I fit in and just got involved with kind of the wrong crowd and into some bad stuff, just trying to find where I fit, trying to figure out who I was, trying to figure out who my tribe was, who my group was, and never really could find that. So I turned to a lot of coping mechanisms to really soothe um, and deal with my inner conflict, my inner pain, which really resulted in fear of being alone, honestly. A deep down sense of I'm not good enough and nobody wants me. And I think looking back on that, that it just stemmed from not having that foundation of knowing that there's a creator who created me for a reason with a specific identity that's my gift to the world and part of who that creator is. And I just didn't have that foundation of an unconditional love, other-centered love in my life. And so I went on to college, kind of was in the party scene, didn't really care about education. Again, just looking how to comfort myself, honestly. And, you know, some people might have found it and studying and becoming a great student. 
I was always looking for people to accept me and just going from friend group to friend group, from boyfriend to boyfriend. And I had this one boyfriend who met somebody in the weight room. He was a big weightlifter. And that person shared the four spiritual laws with him. If you remember Campus Crusade for Christ Days, now they call it crew. And he immediately accepted Jesus as his savior. And he came and got me out of the library. I had procrastinated writing a paper, a big research paper, and it was due the next day. And he just insisted I come meet this new friend. He didn't tell me why. And so after pestering me, I I went with him to this guy's dorm room and he introduced me to the guy and then the boyfriend left and that guy saw me and I didn't know this till later, but whispered to his roommate and said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And sure enough, that was Jamie Winship. He was the first person to ever share the gospel with me. And there's a lot to that story that maybe we can talk about another time, but I eventually came to understand God in a personal way, came to understand that I've never been alone, came to understand Jesus as the true Messiah. And this was after a lot of research and talking to rabbis, and it, it, was, a, it was quite a journey for me. And then, obviously, Jamie and I got married when we graduated from college, and we started living the American dream really. We were very active in our faith, but he was a police officer bent on, that was just his dream job. And he was with a really great department outside of Washington, D.C. And his goal was to be chief of police. I was a teacher. I loved my job. We were very active in a fellowship that sent a lot of people overseas. And it just tugged at my heart, the idea, if I was 20 years old before I ever heard the good news of the gospel, that the time is now, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is at hand, believe, repent, change the way you think and believe this good news. If I was in my 20s before I heard that, I I just had a desire to be able to share that with other people. Again, that's a whole long story, but five years into chasing that American dream, five years and three children later, we found ourselves on this little island in the middle of Indonesia, 2.5 million Muslims, and our little team of seven very naive Americans fresh out of seminary. And that's where I think the real transformation of my faith and really my life began. We lived in Indonesia for about 10 years. Then we ended up in Baghdad during the war. When the war began for a little over a year, we loved the Arab world from Baghdad. We were in Amman, Jordan for about five years. And the most recently, we lived in Jerusalem, Israel. That ended, our, our opportunity to be there ended in 2016. And since then, we've been in Seattle, Washington. We started our own training and consulting company called Identity Exchange, where we teach people how to hear from God, how to exchange their false identity, usually in guilt, fear, and shame for their true identity, which brings a lot of freedom and understanding how to walk in your destiny with the Lord and the kingdom of God. We started a training and consulting company when we moved to the Pacific Northwest. And most recently, we felt an invitation to come and and relocate our company in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is where I am speaking from. So we have three children. They're all grown and we have six grandchildren. 
And that is a little bit about me. Wow. So many different pieces to dig into here. What I'd like to zero in on, Donna, is something that you shared with me, and that was you had a life-changing transformation while living in Indonesia in the 90s. That's and right. you experienced something that the world would actually call failure, but you said that failure and its accompanying feelings of shame and unworthiness were not an attack of the enemy, but an, actually an invitation to know God at levels of relationship only one could dream about. Let's talk about that. What happened? So we were living in our first season overseas in Indonesia on this small island. And, you know, we were trained with a lot of formulas to help people come to know Jesus. We went with a lot of gusto and a lot of ambition and just convinced that we were going to see more than we could ask or imagine. And we knew a lot of processes and a lot of little tips and tricks, I guess you could say. But when we got away from America, we got away from kind of the Christian culture that's predominant in America. And we were in this vastly different culture, predominantly Muslim. So there is a sense of God, a sense of spirituality there. But, you know, the people there believe really strongly. We may refer to them as unbelievers, but they believe strongly what they believe, sometimes more strongly than I would say American Christian culture people believe. And we went in with our apologetics and our formulas and, you know, what we were sharing with people wasn't good news. And it was really hard in the midst of learning language and culture and figuring out how to make a sandwich when you can't buy bread or mayonnaise, you know, getting your kids used to drinking powdered milk, not having electricity every other day, not having, this was before computers and internet, very isolated from our Western support system. And it, it was really hard. We had this romantic view of what our life would be like, and it was very hard. We made a lot of friends. Jamie was a professor in a university. I was a teacher for the New Zealand government in a literacy project out in the villages. And we really loved the people that we got to know. But when it came down to talking about the Bible and Jesus and God, they weren't interested. It, what Our message was not good news. And we would end up arguing about the holy books, their mm. book against our book, our book against their book. And it was hard. It, it was really, really hard. We started to feel like a failure. We'd write letters home to supporters and it's like, we're learning patience. And, yeah. you know, you start to feel like what's going to happen? People are going to stop supporting us and we might be dropped. And how are we going to live? And how are we going to stay here? And this deep, deep sense of shame and failure started to rise up in us. And then I think it reached ahead when Jamie got arrested and he got arrested for insulting the prophet Muhammad. And I think he talks about that story in the podcast he did with you. So I won't repeat it, but it was kind of the ultimate shame in a way because he did do something he wasn't supposed to do. It wasn't like he was being persecuted for his faith. He talked about things in the classroom setting at the university that were off limits. And we got to a point after four years of like, what are we doing? And we had a young woman living with us. She was a university student. I'm going to 
use a different name to protect her, but I'll call her Miriam. And Miriam lived with us and she was super smart. I mean, she was whip smart and she knew her Quran and we would just get in these huge discussions and they would always turn into arguments. It was very disconcerting because again, it would bring up these feelings of, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not smart enough for this. I don't know enough for this. I can't out argue her. And it, it was really, really discouraging. I loved her. She was part of our family. We had so much fun. She taught me so much about the culture, about how to shop in the market. We trusted her with our kids. But then in the end of our time there, what kind of brought on the end, somebody broke into our house and stole a lot of our private personal documents relating to churches, and things we were working on. And we didn't get kicked out of the country, but we almost got kicked out of the country. And we felt like it might have been her, some kind of betrayal, I don't know. And it, it was really hard. So I, I, I want to focus on Miriam for a minute because my strategy with her was very intellectual and very informational. She would bring up points about the Bible that she didn't believe and prove that they were wrong by verses from the Quran. And then I would try to prove her verses wrong in the Quran by using verses in the Bible. And it was this never ending back and forth and back and forth. And it was very intellectual. And I just want to say that intellectual information does not result in a belief transformation. It just is data in your head. And in this case, it was me using apologetics. This is why I'm right. And then polemics. And this is why you're wrong. And then she would react and do the same thing back to me. We weren't responding or I wasn't responding to the prompting of God in love to speak to her. I was arguing out of what I knew in my head and she was doing the same thing. So me telling her why I'm right and why she's wrong, when did that ever work in any relationship that anybody had? When does that work with a husband and a wife, right? When yeah. does that work with your kids? So why am I doing it in this situation? You know, there may be a place for it further down the road when both of us are responding to the spirit, prompting and trying to learn from each other. But this became very competitive about who's right and who's wrong. Well, it sounds like Facebook communication, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very laden with conflict. And outer conflict is rooted in inner conflict. And inner conflict is usually rooted from fear. So for me, it was fear of, can I prove that I'm right? So I can write home and say, we got one. You know, I wouldn't have expressed that then, but that's really what it's, what it's rooted in. And then that fear of what if I'm not approved of? What if I lose my job? What if she rejects me? What does that say about me? And so then where am I getting my identity from? I'm not getting it from God. I'm getting it from what I do, what people think of me and what I have. And that is not where your identity comes from. It never comes from that. Because when those things change or go south, that means your identity has gone south yeah. or your identity is changing. Your identity, your true identity is beyond time. And it's a gift from God. It's the essence of who you really are. It's the truest thing about you. Unfortunately, I didn't know that then. And so that outer conflict 
was really in, in me and Miriam resulting from our inner conflict and our fear that we have to do, do, do to prove ourselves. We have to do things for God to prove ourselves. You know, God doesn't need us to do anything for him. Actually, he came to serve us, right? And if we would let him serve us, if we would allow him to serve us, then out of an overflow, we would naturally serve other people. So let me pause here, Donna, and ask, where did this invitation come in to know God at this deeper level? Right. So we ended up leaving that island and had a little time in the States and then came back to another island. I didn't learn about the invitation yet. I just thought we were under attack. We were under attack. It didn't work out. So much stress, so much anxiety. We moved to another place in Indonesia, the island of West Java. We met some people there. We worked at an international school and we met some people there. And those people were always talking about the kingdom of God and following their their Muslim friends and neighbors, following Jesus into the kingdom of God. And that was really new language for us. And we were very curious. I became acquaintances with one of the women of this group who had lived in Indonesia for about 20 years already and had already experienced all the failure that we had in overcome it. We're way ahead of us. So I thought she might be a good person to learn from. By this point, we were pretty familiar with the culture and had become fairly fluent in the language. I asked her if she would mentor me, and she had a great reputation for really ushering women into the kingdom. Again, new verbiage for me. And I asked her to mentor me and to teach me. And she looked me right in the eye and she said, no, I won't. I won't teach you. And she paused for a very long, uncomfortable moment filled with tension for me. And she said, Donna, you can't give away what you don't have. And after a minute of me really thinking about that and this huge aha moment, this huge Kairos moment where I realized what I had was fear, guilt, shame, unworthiness, doubt, a sense of failure. You know, those things you transmit, you're transmitting those things, whether you want to or not, if that's deeply what you believe. In my head, I believed all the good stuff. In my heart, I believed all the things I just listed. And after an uncomfortable minute, she looked at me, she said, I'll pray with you. And as you hear from God, as you experience God in a new way, out of an overflow, you'll naturally know what to do with other people. Boom, mind blown. I was terrified and eager at the same time. I had never heard anybody talk like this. And back in the 90s, hearing from God, this was not a buzzword. I thought God only spoke to you through scripture. I had no idea what she was talking about. And it was terrifyingly irresistible. And so I started meeting with her. And as she unpacked each of those negative qualities that I just listed, unworthiness, failure, that's where I realized all of that pain that I experienced was not an attack of the enemy. It was God's warning system to me. He was saying, wait, something's wrong here. Feel that sense of failure, feel that sense of shame. I don't want you to feel that. And I'm letting you feel it just like touching a hot stove. You know, a child touch a hot stove, touches a hot stove and quickly removes 
their finger, mm-hmm. right? It's a warning. Don't don't go there. Listen to what your mom told you. Don't touch the stuff. He was warning me. These feelings are a warning, saying, let me show you what I want you to know. This is not what I want you to believe. And it was actually an invitation to see those feelings transformed, see those belief systems transformed because they didn't start in Indonesia. If you remember my story from my childhood, middle school, high school, I already felt like ashamed. I was involved in a lot of bad stuff. That shame was already there. I just got to Indonesia and it was triggered and it came back up. And so it was praying through those things and experiencing Jesus in the shame, in the guilt, and hearing what he wanted me to know about it. You know, it's called truth-telling, which is the, the biblical word confession, but I think that has too much religious baggage around it. Confession just means to tell the truth. We want to hide the truth from God. We want to pretend, oh, I'm not afraid. God, please forgive me for being afraid. Take the fear away. And God's saying, no, let's walk through the fear so you're never afraid of it any longer and you have authority over it. That's a huge point because I feel like I'm being truthful with the Lord when I confess certain things. But I went through your and Jamie's program with Identity Exchange, Knowing Rediscovered, a six-week video series. And I had a whole nother view of truth-telling when I finished that process, and I'm still working through it, but the reality is I was two or three levels above the truth. I was scratching the surface of it, and my question is, how do you get down to the foundation of telling the truth to the Lord about what you're dealing with? Yeah, Brian, I think it starts by paying attention. God is using things in your life to get your attention so that you can be aware of how he's working. So let's take this sense of not good enough that I was feeling. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to do this. This woman, Miriam, is out arguing me. And so I feel stupid, honestly. Like, here I am, this great believer on this sent by all these people to go to this place. And I I don't know what to say. She's saying all these things and I don't know what to say. So typically we would say, oh, I'm under attack, right? Yeah. But really it's a warning system, that feeling of God's doing something here. I need to pay attention to this. So your feelings are a great indicator of what you really believe. Remember, knowledge in your head is data. It's information. We live out of what we believe in our heart, not what we know in our head. It's true. And so that truth-telling begins with, okay, God is doing something. We tend, oh, it's, it's attack and we run away, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, that natural reptilian um, response. But really, if we stop and pause and say, what is happening here? What is really happening? How do I really feel when she out-argues me? I feel not smart enough. Okay, make an identity statement from that. I'm stupid. Like, I'm just telling you my own experience. Sure. Your experience might be different. But if we really search through the feeling and make an identity statement, and then confession is telling God the truth. And the truth is, God, I feel stupid. I feel not smart enough. Where does that come from? I wasn't born not smart enough. Somewhere I took on that belief. 
Because what we're doing in confession is we're giving God our truth, which is just a perception, and we're allowing him to exchange it, I call it the great exchange, for his truth. And his truth always transforms and leads to freedom. If you feel stupid, you're not free. You are in bondage. As you're talking about confession, I think back to my experience in the charismatic church years ago, and it's like, if you sit down and confess that I feel unworthy or that I feel stupid or whatever, fill in the blank, well, that's, quote, negative confession. You shouldn't say that, which is a lie. God wants you to speak the truth. That's right. And that's the Christian facade, a, a, a real indicator of a false identity, living in a false identity is we feel the need to self-protect and self-promote. There it is. We compare ourselves to other people, and then we have to one-up them because we don't feel good enough. We compare and compete, or we start self-protecting and self-promoting. And we self-protect from God. That's what I'm talking about, paying attention and becoming aware. You have a choice of how you believe, and we forget that. And we even self-protect from God. We don't want God to really know we're afraid. And, you know, I don't know where that comes from, that we think we have to be perfect for God. Jesus knows we are fallen, that we're in a fallen state. And he's right with us, wanting to help us in that. But we feel like we have to have it all together before we go to him. And that really is the scheme of the enemy. And every scheme of the enemy is God's invitation for healing, transformation, and freedom. What an incredible way to flip the script. When you start feeling this angst, this heaviness, this you look at it as instruction. It's a warning light, like you said. Right. Yeah. So, Brian, I want to give you a kind of contrasting story of another young woman if you remember the Miriam, my mm -hmm. story about Miriam, how this played in, out in my life. So for the next three or four years, Jamie and I were both mentored in these principles of hearing from God, coming to understand your true identity. You know, there's several scriptures on this that I had never paid attention to. One of my favorites is Isaiah 43, 1, where the prophet is saying, I have formed you, O Jacob, that's the given name. I have called you Israel. Notice the name change. Mm -hmm. And then he says, do not fear, which is our number one emotion. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid our kids are going to turn out bad. We're afraid we're going to get fired from our job. We're afraid we're not going to have enough money. We're afraid of so many things. We're afraid we're not going to get the promotion. Somebody else is. We're afraid whatever is in your life isn't going to work out, Yeah, especially now with the pandemic and politics. But it says, do not fear Actually, that exhortation is said 365 times in Scripture, one form or another, so it's pretty important. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you and called you by name, so you will know that you are mine. I mean, wow. Mm. And now start thinking about it. Gideon had a name change. Abraham and Sarah had a name change. Paul had a name change. Peter had a name change. So many people in the Bible experience God in their pain and anguish, and he exchanged that pain and, pain and anguish for freedom and transformation and a new name that helped them walk into the destiny that he had for them. And so as we learned to hear from God and trust that he was 
calling out our true identity, which is his gift to us. It's to be discovered through a lifetime and worked out in community. We eventually ended up in Baghdad in 2003 when the war started. And we were teaching some classes actually with the provisional government and doing some computer literacy classes. And one of these classes had started, these are like adult graduate level people, Iraqi people. And so three weeks into this class, this lovely young woman comes at the beginning of class and she says, Mr. Jamie, Mr. Jamie, I, I must I must talk to you. You must let me in your class. And her name, again, I'm going to protect her identity, but her name is, uh, I'll call her Fatima. And he, he asked her her name. She's, he said, Fatima, I'm sorry. It's, you know, three weeks into an eight week class and, you know, you've missed a third of the class. And I can't let you in. And she was so desperate. She's like, please, please, I, I need to be in your class. And I was in the back of the room. I was always there kind of tutoring and helping people. And he pointed to the back of the room. He pointed to me and he said, see that lady back there? That's my wife. He goes, I can't let you in the class, but go back there and introduce yourself to her. And she'll personally tutor you. That's just a little glimpse into what it's like being married to Jamie Winston. <laughs> So she comes back to me and tells me all that. And she was really delightful. I could see the kingdom in her eyes, we like to say. There was just that spiritual connection. I knew God was doing something special in her, that she was a person of peace, that she needed to receive my peace. And so I started meeting with her at the same time as the class. We would just meet in the back of the room or in a different, out in the hallway, and she started to really trust me. And I always opened, you know, Muslim people are very spiritual and they love to be prayed over and prayed for when you're in a genuine friendship with them and not a combative, apologetics, yeah. polemics relationship with them. And I would always start each class by just asking God what he wanted us to know. And giving her a chance just to release anything that was bothering her so that her mind would be free to learn what she needed to learn in this class. And it really built a bridge of trust. And after several weeks, I would say it built a bridge of trust that could bear the weight of truth. And one day she comes to class, she always carried like this messenger, messenger bag type satchel. And she was real nervous. And she was like, Miss Donna, Miss Donna. I want to show you something. And she was looking around to make sure that nobody could see her. And she pulls out this comic book and she's covertly handing it to me. And so I was trying to respect her sense of privacy and confidentiality and, and kind of real discreetly flipped it open. And I realized it was a comic book and it was the gospel story in comic book form in English. She goes, my, my brother's friend gave this to me, and I, I don't understand it. Will you read it with me? And I could tell she was so nervous, so I invited her to start meeting in our home. And so I said, I'd love, to, you know, hmm, let me think. Let me pray about that, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Of course, I'd love to read it with you. So we started reading it, and it was based, I think it was in the Gospel of Luke, and so I kind of put the comic book aside and we just opened the scriptures and started reading from the Gospel of Luke during our meetings. And again, even though we weren't doing the English, we would always start with this time of listening. And so she was used to trusting what she was sensing when I would say, God, what do you want Fatima to know? And she would always say something like, I feel like this is going to be a great class. She'd say, you are a very spiritual person. You have spiritual authority and I want that. 
And it was just really a beautiful, beautiful time. And so we're reading through the book of Luke and she has a lot of questions and I'm able to answer her questions. And again, we've built this relationship of trust. She didn't sense that I had any agenda because Brian, I didn't have any agenda. In Mm -hmm. those first years with Miriam, I had an agenda. She was my project. And with Fatima, I didn't have an agenda. I genuinely loved her and cherished her friendship. I mean, she really became a sister to me. She spent a lot of time with us. And so as we're reading the scripture, I had a sense that I was a little bit like John the Baptist. You know, he's just clearing the way for Jesus. He's just removing the roadblocks. And it made me think of verses in Isaiah about a highway to the Lord. And so we would just read a little bit, and then we would stop, and we would pray the prayer that changed my life that I learned from that mentor in West Java. God, what do you want me to know? And we'd read a little bit and and discuss it and talk through things that were new to her that she didn't understand. And it was very mutual. She didn't see me as like lording it over her. And Mm -hmm. then we got to Luke chapter two, and we come to the part where Mary is talking about Jesus, the birth of her, her child, and that she knows he's the savior. And we get to that verse that says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Fatima starts crying. And I'm like, tell me what you're feeling, right? Because those feelings indicate to us where God's working. Pay attention to the feeling. And she's crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she said, I, I, I don't know. Something about this verse makes me cry. And I said, well, let's ask God what he wants you to know. Ten years earlier, I would have tried to intellectually explain to her what I thought was happening to her. Because I didn't know you could say, God, what do you want her to know? But instead, I said, God, what do you want Fatima to know about this intense feeling that she's having over Luke chapter 2, verse 19? And I read the verse again. And suddenly she looked up at me, these huge, beautiful brown eyes, and she said, Mary treasured Jesus in her heart. And God is telling me that I'm his treasure. He's showing me my identity that I'm his treasure. Wow. I was dumbfounded. I started (laughs) crying. I'm going to cry now talking about it. She started crying. Let me tell you, Fatima walked into the kingdom of God that day, knew that she was Jesus' treasure. We didn't argue. I didn't have to convince her to read the Bible. God was working. And, And here's my point. I didn't have any fear. I didn't have any shame. I was following the movement of God. I wasn't reacting to someone else's argument. I was listening to God and responding in love. Huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't up to me to do anything. I saw where God was moving in her heart and I just listened and responded. So, Brian, interestingly enough, the Hebrew root of the word obedience like when scripture says it's better to obey than to sacrifice, that word obey means to listen and respond to God. Think of the foundational verse in Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. That's the foundational prayer of the Jewish faith, just like the Lord's prayer would be for the Christians. Hear, O Israel, H-E-A-R, listen. And then to obey is better than sacrifice is that same root to listen and respond to God is better 
than sacrifice. So that's all I'm doing. I'm listening and responding. I'm seeing his organic movement, sensing that peace in other people that's connecting with the peace in me and just going with it. So this was effortless. This was effortless with her. And I really loved her. And I had had this huge transformation switch from trying to serve God and work for God and prove um, my worth to other people to just resting. When you're trying to prove your worth to other people, when you're trying to gain approval from what you do, this is this is bondage. And freedom is resting and waiting and listening and knowing what your identity is and how it informs what you do. I knew I was a timeless life giver. I knew that. I had heard that from God. And so that's informing everything I was doing with Fatima. How can I give her life? How am I receiving life from God? And how is that overflowing in me, out of me, into other people? And again, just the key is paying attention, being aware when you feel that negative emotion. Don't be afraid to say to God, don't say, I'm afraid, take the fear away. Say, I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid you're not with me. I'm afraid you're not helping me. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. What do you want me to know about that? When did I start believing you're not with me? Show me what you were doing. Where were you when I thought you weren't there? And then our pain actually becomes the icon of our redemption because we experience Jesus. And the transformation goes from pain to comfort. And then that informs how we respond. Donna, I just got this picture as you were sharing that of, I think of my own children and me as a father. And imagine if my son and I were walking together and we're in the forest and he looks back at me and he says, dad, I'm afraid. I'm I'm fearful of what we're going to see out here. And Instead of just moving forward and being fearful, when he turns to me and tells me honestly how he's feeling, my immediate thought is, oh, I love you. I'm with you. You don't have to fear. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, our earthly fathers can't always be with us, right? Mm -hmm. But if we develop a daily practice of listening to God, And just saying, God, what do you want me to know? And just spending time in the presence. Then when we are afraid, when those crisis situations come, we have the confidence that he's with us. That's so good. So good. I am doing all I can right now to not lose it. You can see what it's my favorite thing to do is to teach and train people how You know, it is a lifelong um, journey and it's not a one and done experience. There's layers and layers and layers to our lives. And as one is transformed, then, and we learn to walk it out, God is so gracious. And it's, scripture tells us it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance means to have a change thinking, to change the way you think. After having an experience, that's the literal definition, Mm. after having an experience, of course, with God, with Jesus. And as you come into freedom and authority in that one area, then in kindness, he lets you walk it out and, and learn it as you're intentional to walk in that freedom. Then he'll show you the next thing and the next thing. 
And you can have several identities over your lifetime as well for different seasons of your life. This is just what lights up my life, I'm telling you. Oh, it's so, so rich. I would love to have you share how people can find out more about you, the ministry, and then have you pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, thank you, Brian. So, Jamie and I are both on Instagram at the Jamie Winship at the Donna Winship, and we also have a website called Identity Exchange. That's also on Instagram at Identity Exchange. And if you go to the website, uh, you can sign up to be on our mailing list so you'll know about trainings and new offerings. Sometimes we do little giveaways and things like that. We have two courses on there right now. One's called Knowing Rediscovered, and it's just learning how to know the way Jesus knows, that connection to hearing from God and being in relationship. We have another one called the Energy Series. That's Jamie telling stories and applying these same principles we've talked about today and just lots of different stories. And we have a new course coming out in about a month called Becoming What You Believe. And that's more like a college course. It's very robust. The other thing we have on the website are trained identity coaches. Sometimes you just need help As you learn these things, you watch a video series or listen to a podcast and you just want more and you need help processing and you can find those coaches on the Identity Exchange website and you can hire a coach to help you walk through places where you might feel stuck. And then I'll just let you know also, we have a corporate arm of what we do called Identity Method and you can find more of that on the Identity Method Instagram page at Identity Method. Yeah, so that's how to get in touch with us. I'm really excited about the new course. And Jamie is also getting ready to do a Zoom webinar in May. If you're interested, you want to know more, I highly recommend getting on the email list so that you can find out about upcoming trainings and events and how to stay in touch with us. Definitely. All that will be in the show notes for sure. Well, as we finish up here, Donna, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, I'd love to. God, we just thank you so much that you are always with us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I don't know, Lord, why we think that things can, but there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And I pray that everybody that hears this would just have a moment right now of listening to you. And I'm just going to ask this question, God, what do you want us to know? What do you want me to know about your deep love for me? What do you want me to know about it? And I don't want to take the time on the podcast, but God, help all of us to maybe spend five minutes when we turn this off, asking that question and listening, because we know God, that you are for us, that Jesus is with us, that spirit is in us, that you've given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You give wisdom liberally if we ask for it. And Jesus is our friend and he walks with us and we can hear from you. The sheep hear my voice. They know it. I call them by name. So thank you, Lord. I ask that you would speak to each person listening here today, that they would hear you and they would hear the name that you call them. And I just submit them to your Lordship and protection from the schemes of the enemy, how you'd want to thwart this and hinder and use fear and conflict to keep us just on the wrong path, straying from the path that you've set out before us to live fearlessly in our true identity and walk in the destiny that you've given us. I commit each one to you, Lord, and just thank you for each person listening 
today. Thank you for your love. We just receive it in all the many forms and communications and how you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Donna, thank you. So rich, so good. Thank you. What a great opportunity. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.